What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode eight of Three's a Crowd. We got Andres, we got Nick, we got the salt in the swag, the pillar professionalism, the bald man, my father. Uh, today we're talking a little bit about uh, entrepreneurship, the hardships, the the uh, the payoff, the benefits, the uphill battle that you got to fight. Um, I'm excited to be here with you guys again in Miami. You got a haircut. Finals are over. Um, super hyped. My dad's here. Also, he's, he's you know he said he was going to inject humor and and what was it humor and knowledge into the pod. And he's here to do that today. Um, I, I can't forget to mention our sponsor, El Mago Cigars. Look at this beautiful presentation right here. We each have El Mago Cigar right now that we're going to smoke on the pod. Um, What's the name of this cigar, Nick? What's This is called... Let me unmute myself. This is called the Miami Maduro. And for those of you who don't know, a Maduro cigar uh, has to do with the wrapper, what you see on the outside of the cigar. And uh, it indicates that the cigar... Typically, we'll have a little more strength to it, so um, we're getting it, we're getting it piping, we're getting it spicy, we're getting it going. This podcast. All right. I just want to say, I just want to say that this thing is called Three's a Crowd, and apparently, because I'm the fourth person sitting here, it's a crowd. So I want to thank you all for having me on. I want to thank you all for inviting me on board. I look forward to having a podcast with you guys and talking the topics, talking the smack. Having some cocktails and having some cigars. Dad, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, what you do, where you come from? Give us, give us the whole nine. Give, let, let everyone know who you are, what you do. Well, my name is Ray Jorda. I am an attorney. I have been an attorney for the past 25, 26 years. I have a firm in Coral Gables called Dorda and Ortega. Our firm uh, specializes or concentrates on a commercial litigation. Um, personal injury, workers' compensation, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but I guess what's most important here is how we get to where you're at. Because this episode has to do with inter- being an entrepreneur and being able to take the risk to go out on your own and somewhat try getting some kind of success. So I am here to answer questions. I'm here to discuss I guess the insight as to my uphill battle as Ray indicated during the course of, of his intro, because during any kind of success, there's always some kind of adversity and you always have adversity and you always have to uh, take a risk. Number one. And number two, uh, you have to um, plan and prepare. But as you'll hear from my story, as we go on, all the plan and preparation that we did never really worked out. But what worked out was the fact that my business partner, Omar Ortega, and myself stuck together, and we uh, created a, uh, a firm, and the firm has been around now <clears throat> for almost 20 years. So we're, I'm very proud to be here, very happy to be here, and I'm very happy to give you some insights with regards to any questions you all may have. Yeah, I think maybe a good kind of kickoff would be just kind of letting everybody know how it started, a little bit about the journey and, and kind of how it's kind of unfolded for you. Well, my business partner and I met when we were prosecutors in the state attorney's office in 1996. And we became the best of friends because misery invites company. And when I say misery, you go to law school for three years, you get a bunch of loans and you come out and you start working in the state attorney's office and you start making $25,500 a year. And the experience was invaluable. Um, we tried 
many, many cases to verdict. We were very successful. We rose up in the ranks of the office. I left the office soon after um, uh, I knew that I was going to be having Little Ray. And Little Ray reminded me today. And by the way, folks, when I say Little Ray, the giant sitting next to me is Little Ray. Um, I left the office to try um, making more money. So I left and I started doing personal injury and workers' compensation for the plaintiff standpoint. And then I went to do um, insurance defense for a large insurance company named AIG. And then one thing happened. See, what happened was my boss at the time ended up being one of the greatest guys ever, Jim Gallagher. God bless you, Jim. And I said to Jim Gallagher, you know, I never, ever thought that I would miss criminal law because I was always prosecuting. I never defended. And Jim says, well, uh, why don't, why don't you, uh, why don't you just do it here? And I go, Jim, because I signed some contract that said that I can only do work for you guys. You're the top pillar in the office. As long as you do your work and don't get me in trouble, it's fine. So I said, okay, Jim. So I put it out to the Cuban Connection. And for those people who don't know, the Cuban Connection happens to be my mom and uh, the, the uh, electrified family of, of Cubans that um, we come from. And I said, you know, my boss said I could take cases. And uh, she says, okay. So two weeks later, I get a call for somebody that had a DUI. Coincidentally, I call my business partner, who's working now in another firm. And I said, hey, there's a DUI. What do I charge for that? He goes, I don't know, $3,500? I go, that's what everybody charges? He goes, yeah, I go, I'll do $2,500. So I said to the guy, $2,500 for DUI. And they put $2,500 in my hand, and I stared at it. And when I stare at it, I said, good Lord, I just made $2,500 by just speaking to somebody. And then I had the concept, and I had the idea of, of opening my own firm. Um, and that goes into the topic of today's podcast, because the plan was to save. And I, and, and I want you to listen to this very carefully, because I spoke to people who knew things, was to save a year's salary to open my firm. Now, mind you, if you have bills, mortgage, credit card, car payments, insurance payments, groceries, childcare, you're not going to save a year's salary. But I spoke to my business partner at the time, and he was working in a big firm. And I said, hey, why don't we open a firm? Here, I created a business plan as to where we're going to make money from. Now, <clears throat> nothing in that business plan came to fruition. I mean, nothing. But my business partner, God bless him, said, sure, let's do it. So while we were working in other firms, two different firms, we put out through the Cuban Connection. The fact that we we're going to open a firm. And next thing you know, we start signing up clients. But what do we do with the clients? Like, don't have a firm. So we had to sign up clients and, 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 and give it to somebody to hold for us in place. And after we signed up our 15th client, I turned to him and I go, what are we doing? What are we doing? We are pissing money away. We can say pissing on the podcast, right? Okay, just checking. Thank you. We can't curse. Oh, I'm in. Uh, Oh, I'm so in now. I said, what are we doing? We're throwing money away. And then he said, well, I'm waiting for my bonus so that I can put money into the firm. But it was February. 
The bonus doesn't happen until December. So I said, I don't have a pot to piss in, but I can bring in business, I think. We already have 15 cases. So the, the deadline to open the firm started in December, and then it moved to October, then it moved to August. And April 4th, 2003, me and two of my buddies and my business partner were building furniture in our very first location. So what lesson did I learn from that? You can plan all you want, and the plan's not going to work. You can take risk because it was taking a risk. You're taking a pay cut. You're going from a six-figure salary to no salary at all. So that's a risk. And then the third thing is you have to have the initiative. You have to have the initiative to be able to do what you want to do. And, and that's my story. And my story is that luckily we've been successful and we've been around. And we create a reputation for ourselves in front of the judges and in front of our, our, our colleagues. And we've, we've done well from the standpoint. So that's my entrepreneurial story. Well, can I add that in addition to the fact that you said at the time, you said at the time it was a six-figure salary, you were going from making that salary to actually losing money in the beginning because you needed to put money into the business to start. While you had, this is 2003, while you had two kids and, 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 and one, Bob was, was on the way? No, he was already there. No, Bob, Bob was nowhere around. It was only Christina and Ray. 2004, Bob was born. But this is 2003. This is when we started. Bob wasn't around then. He was in the, he was in the oven. No? Bob was born in, in, in Bob, Bob, my brother Robert was born in August 2004. My son, Robert, was born in 2004, but the firm opened in April of 2003. So it's impossible because the person that was carrying Bob does not have the gestational period of a whale. So it's only a nine-month gestational period. So I'm sorry, Nick. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so so six-figure salary, two kids, one soon-to-be on the way, right? Nowhere near. No. Okay, nowhere near. So two kids, a wife, okay? Um, a hundred thousand over six figure, whatever it was, salary. Uh, going from a net positive to a net negative, and that's where you talk about the risk that you have to take because it's a huge risk to not only take a pay cut, but then actually put the hard earned money you made back into the business. You know, funny enough, I, I have to give credit to some people that were helpful in the transition, and and one of those people happened to be Andres's dad. Because Andres' dad was able to create computers for us, which save us money, was able to get us printers, which save us money. Um, so the investment into the firm wasn't as large as I thought it was going to be, one. And two, dude, as long as month one, I was able to cover my bills, I was happy. And you know what happened month one? I'll tell you, because now it's no longer a secret. We made $12,000. Wait, $12,000 we made. Now it sounds ridiculous based on, on, on the figures where we're at, but it was a positive. It was, not, it was not a negative. I was looking at the fact that if you open your own firm, there's a likelihood that you're going to go into the negative and you're going to be you know, bleeding money for the first month, two months, three months. But you know what? Knock on wood. Um, that was good. Things worked. And we never had a negative month. We always had positive months. 
So the positive months between our criminal work, our personal injury work, our commercial litigation work, uh, our workers' comp work created enough business for us. And, and, you know, kudos to my old firm, the one that I worked to when I left the state attorney's office, which gave me a bunch of files that I had left at their office. And, and, and that also helped us out a lot in the very beginning. So, so yes, you need to have the initiative. You need to take the risk, but also the kindness of those that you, you, you you're with. I mean, your, your family, because, you know, Andres's family's family, um, your friends, your colleagues, those people that are going to actually really help you. Not the people that are going to tell you money begets money. I'm not going to help you because I'm doing well doesn't mean you have to do well. Those people, no. But the people that actually support your dream, your ideal, the people that actually stand next to you, the people that actually help you, um, I think is, it has a lot to do with success and it has a lot to do with with how you you turn around and, and you're able to to put ahead. And and then I remember the next conversation I had with Abdes's dad, dude, I can't believe that in one month we made twenty five thousand dollars. And then I remember having a conversation with his dad saying, I can't believe that in one month we made fifty thousand dollars. And then that conversation continued till today, where you're having, you know, you you're so fortunate to be in a position where you're putting out a good work product for the client and you're and you're being able to be successful in something you like doing and that risk that you took you actually look back and you say wow you know what that was a great decision i'm so happy i did it i'm so happy that i i i went ahead so yes there there was the potential of a pay cut but if you get the rent the light no employees my business partner and i making 12 grand in one month guess what i covered my bills i didn't have to worry so that's sort of that balance. And, and I think it has a lot to do with, with the relationships that you build at your age, which was my age when I met my business partner, and those relationships, how they continue and how you continually help each other. And you help each other to the point where you're successful. I, wanna, I think that point was awesome that you made there, that it's not really just about what you and your business partner did a lot of other things have to come into play for you to really succeed. And I think you guys set a great example for us, just seeing your friend group, um, you, my parents, the Longmans, all have stayed together. And, and when you talk about the successes across the board, there's always in interesting conversations and areas where you guys were sprinkled in on all different lives that you guys all had. And I think that was a great example for us. And I always talk with them about how lucky we are, like our core group of friends that we've been together since, I mean, we can even remember and having these conversations and facilitating things like El Mago Cigars. That was something that we sat down here in the backyard, like we're doing right now, talking. And now Nick has it and he's sponsoring the podcast and he's in 50 plus locations, three states, four states. And I think that's what's really cool about business is if you support your friends and the people that are around you, it's almost like it's your company too, because you want to see them win so bad and you're around for all of the struggles and hard parts. And and I think that's awesome. And that's why it's so important to surround yourself. Like you said, with people that are not about the money that are empathetic and really care and want to see you succeed because that'll be a catalyst to your success down the road.
And, and I think that Nick Fusco is, is a perfect example of an entrepreneur. In, in other words, I, I admire the fact that the young man at the tender ripe age of 24, 24? right, close, right, 24. At 24, he, he has done more than many people at 50 haven't done. Um, he, he has taken it upon himself to enter an extremely competitive business and be successful and provide a product. But again, you're right. That has to do with the relationships that he built in an effort to get to where he's at. Because, yeah, he had to take a risk. But if it wasn't for his association to having these cigars made, it wouldn't be the product that it is today. It could be, I could say shit, right? It could be a colossal piece of shit. And it's not. It's a great product. I also think that like, a, I mean, I, I'm the only one here that actually has not started a business, but I guess this would be like, like one of the businesses that I would, I could say I started with you guys. But um, I think a lot of starting a business is also who you know and networking, right? Like I know Andres's business was done almost wholly on Discord. And through there, he was able to do a tremendous amount of networking to different, uh, I don't want to say the wrong ter terminology, but different mod mods. Own, different owners and he was able to push his company tell us a little bit how you're able to do that yeah so i mean i had a unique situation i was selling sneakers because i've always had a passion for sneakers and i realized i could sit on my computer in my room and make a couple thousand dollars a month and not have to work for somebody and and still be able to enjoy college and, and travel and do the things that are fun and why you would get a job um and then COVID hit and I noticed that all the stores were closed and you couldn't go purchase these sneakers like you used to. And everybody was moving to the online, um, the online platforms to receive these shoes. And there was these things called sneaker bots, which is software that you put on your computer. And if you think about it in simple terms, it's just a device that helps you check a product out. You tell it what website to go on. It has your information loaded like an auto-filled checkout and you're able to go through and purchase. What people didn't know is that you were able to make all of these virtual credit cards and there's the ability to create all of these um, kind of private cards that you were able to attach to business accounts if you incorporated yourself, which is totally legal. And you were able to purchase more shoes than, than you normally would. And I realized I was I, I, it's funny you talk about my dad. I sat down with my dad and I was like, hey these bots are extremely expensive four, five, six, seven thousand dollars a piece. The normal person can't buy that even if they want even if they can realize the amount of money they can make. Not that many people have seven thousand dollars liquid. So I was like, hey, these licenses can be rented out to people and people will pay good money for it. And then you can just take it back and rent it week in and week out. And he looked through it and he was like, you know what? Like this does make sense. And I was like, let's try it. So I got a job on one little Discord. I was working for free. And I would buy the bot, pay $1,000, $1,500 to $4,000, and I would rent it. And I was like, hey, dad, I made 500 bucks this week. Hey, dad, I made $1,000 this week. Hey, dad, I made $1,500 this week. He was like, you know, I think you can get more customers with this. Like, I think you can branch out on your own. You want to say something? Oh, oh no, I'm, I don't want to interrupt you, but... I, I want to add, but keep going. Yeah, well, so, well, I saw your tax return for that year. I didn't see those numbers on there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, 
Um, as your counsel, uh, um, please, please I ask fifth. you to plead the fifth. Thank you. Um, so with that, I was like, okay, like I think there really is this opportunity to branch it out. And I created the company, The Bot Spot. And within two months, we had over 2,500 members who had joined the group. It's a free group to join. Um, but the service is what you paid for. And at its peak, we were facilitating anywhere from 250 to 500 rentals a week. Um, we were getting tons of traffic in and off the platform. And it was awesome because it was completely started from scratch organically. Um, and it was cool because it gave me a little, when it was my sneaker business, that was just me. But with that company, I had eight employees at its peak. I had a marketing department. We were on calls weekly running campaigns. So I got a gist of what it was like to run one of these big companies just at a smaller scale. And at Discord, you, you can get this work for pretty cheap because it's people that are in high school that love the scene and want to get involved and want to be recognized in these communities. So I was able to build out this awesome team of people that I worked with for over two years. And, and the company still operates. Um, it still gets anywhere from 20 to 40 requests a week. It's still fully functioning. It's at 6,800 members now. And it gave me the ability to segue to so many more companies on Discord, like little individual mentorship programs. And, and I mean, it was really just a cash cow sitting on my computer, which was an awesome experience. But you know what? That, that adds then to another level of entrepreneurship. We talked about risk. We talked about reward. We talked about contacts and having the people to get you there. But ingenuity is the other side of the equation. Because see, what you did was you used the technology that existed and you found a way to make money from a technology that existed because you came to the realization, which was awesome at your tender age of 23. 20. Well, 24, cause you know, sorry, December 8th just passed. Um, you came to the realization that a lot of people didn't have the liquid and you could have the market to rent it. That type of ingenuity is also part of the success of being an, an entrepreneur. Because in the grand scheme of things, you need to have all these things working together. But I think one of the last things has to do with technology and the fact that technology is constantly advancing. And there's ways of making money in the technology. Easy, Uber, Grubhub. Those things didn't exist back in the day. And now they're commonplace. So kudos to you. Kudos to you and being able to figure out that market, taking a slice of that market and being able to make money from that market. How how would and, you say that how would you say that, that you can exercise ingenuity in a law firm? How would you say that that you could explore that oh, avenue? Hey, hang on, hang on. Before you get there, I just want to add real quickly. I was there for the whole process of while Andres was, was starting up the bot spot and um, talking about entrepreneurship and risk and everything, he was definitely ahead of the curve in this space, right? He he had to eat shit for what a year and a half, maybe would you say, or a year? Like like where where it was difficult for you, where where you weren't seeing results super easily, you know, where you just had to grind it out, right? It was like a year, a year and a half. So he had, he had to go through that process, and once. The hype built around this, he was already ready to go and in, a, in an attack position and was ahead of the curve in that sense. So, you know, it wasn't like instant gratification where everything was just coming to him and his group just ex grew exponentially. He had to grind it out and wait 
and 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 learn the uh, botting process while everyone else was sleeping on it or didn't know about it. And you know, once it came to, oh wow, this is actually really profitable. Andres is ready to go. So, you know, that's another thing about entrepreneurship is that it's important to master your craft. And if it's uh, something new or if it's something that uh, is uncommon, you have a big advantage if you can uh, be at the top of your game in that field. Because by the time everyone knows about it, you're years ahead of them and uh, and you can win. And that's exactly what he did. Go ahead, Ray. I guess, I guess, as a more broad question, yes. While exercising ingenuity in law firm might be something more difficult, I'm, I'm wondering how you could exercise ingenuity in in a cigar business because you're not the prototypical cigar company, right? Like you have these bright colors. You're a young guy. You're not a prototypical cigar owner. So how would you say that you could exercise cigar or ingenuity in a cigar industry? And then, Dad, you could follow up and answer that same question. Um, I would say that when I decided to get into the business. Um, I spent a lot of time in cigar shops observing, and I think that was, uh, one of the best decisions I could have made was, was learning about the business from a consumer's perspective, right? So I would go into a cigar shop, go into the humidor. And what I saw was, uh, you know, in a humidor, um, you know, for those of you that don't know, it's usually like a cedar wood or something like that. It's just a wood room, a room full of wood so it can keep in uh, humidity and, and moisture so the cigars don't dry out. So I saw that wood accompanied by a bunch of cigar boxes that were made of the same looking wood. And I also at the same time thought of my grandparents because I made the cigar company in honor of them, as I had mentioned before. My grandparents loved colorful things. They have a, They own a hotel that's very colorful, very bright. My grandmother was an artist. Uh, nothing was was dull about their their style or their taste, and that was definitely a big a big part of the reason why I created the design for the way I did. And then the second reason was I saw wood on wood in the humidor, and it was um, I'd say that it's, that it's boring because it's a very classy look. You know, nobody nobody can can deny that it's that it's very appealing and nice looking. But I wanted to make something different, something that spiced things up in a way that was unique. And so I came out with these, they're called three-piece tubes, very bright tubes, colorful packaging and everything. And that actually was one of the biggest things I was able to for, uh, you know, get my foot in the door in cigar shops who had no clue who I was, who saw a 20, I was 22 when I started it, 23-year-old kid walking in the door when your average cigar smoker is probably older than their mid-40s. You know, it was hard to gain respect, but when they saw, I guess, this ingenuity in a sense, um, they were open to it and they gave it a try. And that's sometimes it's all you need is one foot in the door so you can get your other in there. And, and uh, can I say something about that on what Nick was saying? Um, we were we were, like I said earlier, a part of the process when he was really creating this vision, when he decided that this is really what he wanted to do. And we we're talking about that risk when you start a company. There was a lot of risk that went into Nick deciding he was not only going to join the industry, but be different because you're setting yourself up for the possibility of a complete failure if it doesn't gel with what the industry wants, if you're going to be that outlier. And I think that you really sticking to why you wanted to start the brand because of your grandparents and that you wanted it to represent them 
It didn't matter if that wasn't industry standard. And, and if that meant it needed to be bright and loud, you were going to do that. That takes a lot of courage and, and is a great example of, again, if you sit there and put in the work, grind it out, create a quality product, like we said earlier, you will be rewarded down the road. And I think that your cigars and everything is a great example of you sticking to that story, sticking to that reasoning behind it, and and just being very, very um, just kind of aware of that this is what you wanted to do and this is what you were going to do. And no matter what, it was going to be a representation of your grandparents and what you wanted. And I commend you for that. Well, thank uh, you, buddy. Appreciate it. I also want to add that as as a salesman of El Longo Cigars, one of the big selling points, not only being the story and the quality of cigars, is the way that it looks. Like it, it literally, like you put it in a humidor, and like that is the first thing that you see. And all these boxes, like you said, were the same color. They're that, they're that 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 wooden or whatever. I don't know what you said, but they're that that same material. And like your eyes are directly drawn to the, the brightest, and you walk in and you see it. And like I said before, I when I sold it to uh, La Cultura Cigars in Kansas City, they were like, "That is a sexy tube." That is a sexy tube I needed in my store. And they love the cigars and they're going to reorder soon. Ben, hit me up. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I think that the ingenuity thus far has, has, has paid off, right? Like, like, I'm not a great salesman. I know that. But I've been able to pay it. I've been able to sell your cigars based on the story, what I know about your story, what I know about the cigars, and what you did with the box, man. What you do with the box? I mean, you guys can see it on the camera right now. Look at this. This is beautiful. Uh, so I think that ingenuity has paid off that. And what do you, how do you think you can exercise ingenuity in, in, in a law firm? What do you say? Uh, that, that's an extremely difficult question. And it's a difficult question because ingenuity in a law firm doesn't really come into play unless you're doing it from a marketing standpoint. From a marketing standpoint, you could hire somebody to try getting you up on the Google searches. And you could do that. You could find a niche. Thank you for the correction, young man. I appreciate it. A niche. I'm sorry, tomato, tomato. So you could try finding an area of the law that you could specialize in, concentrate in that others aren't doing. So that's somewhat of an ingenuity. But I think from a law firm standpoint, it's not really technology or ingenuity that, that brings home the bacon. I, I think it has to do with your work product. And, and, the, and the work product that you're putting out. And it has to do with the results for your client because our firm has grown the way it's grown based on our clients being satisfied with the work we've done for them and referrals, not from other lawyers per se, but referrals from clients. So it isn't really an ingenuity aspect on a law firm. It's more of the work that you put in, the result that you have for the client and how the client later on turns around and, and refers you more business. And, and I, I think that that is more along the lines of, of how you do it. I mean, ingenuity is there and you have the opportunity to, to from a marketing standpoint, do it or from a, a niche standpoint, do it. Um, but all, all, all being said, I think that if you do good work and you provide um, and you build good relationships with your clients, uh, you'll have success. I, I also think it's important to recognize the main distinction between a law, a law firm as a business and pretty much any other business is that lawyers have ethical duties as to the way that they present themselves and the way that they market themselves. So law firms can't really market in a traditional sense. 
right? They're bound by their ethical duties. I just passed the NPRE, by the way. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, what? Thank you very much. <laughs> I was just telling Marco uh, some explosions. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much, Pastor Ampieri. But I think I think that's also could be a potential. Why don't you explain to the people what an MPRE is, son? Because no one knows what an MPRE is. So the MPRE the is. You got to mute your mic. Yeah, I got it. I got it. The MPRE is the Model Rules of Professional Responsibility exam, wherein you are text tested on your ethicalness as an attorney. Did you say ethicalness? Is that a word? If it's not, it is now. If it's not, it is now. So yeah, you're tested on your ethicalness. <laughs> you're, t- you're tested on your ethics as as a, as a lawyer. Ethicalness. Um, you're tested on how ethical you are as an attorney and whether or not you'll be able to abide by your ethical obligations under your jurisdiction. Uh, it's different for every jurisdiction. Uh, for me, I'll be taking, you know, I'm going to be a Florida attorney. Um, but the ABA kind of sets like a, a model rule. You know I mean? It's not really adopted in full by any states. The states kind of go off the ABA model rules and they, they tailor it to what they believe that the Florida, you know, I actually learned about the, the MPRE. The actual exam is that allegedly when you sign up for the exam, they ask for your jurisdiction, not only to send it to that jurisdiction, but they tailored the questions that they ask you based on what the biggest ethical obligate, like the biggest ethical violations are in that state. So I think that was super interesting. I mean, my exam could be a lot harder than someone from Kansas's or my exam could be a lot easier than someone from Kansas's. But I thought that, I thought that was kind of mind blowing. I was like, whoa, that, that's weird. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a whole host of, of ethical obligations as it goes anywhere from conflict of interest to, you know, putting up a billboard and, and what you say on the billboard and, and what your firm letterhead says and and who you designate as being on your firm letterhead. Like it's there's a lot a lot of ways that you can get in trouble. I think this actually ties nicely with our our uh, hot take for later. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's a main distinction between any regular business and and a law firm. I was gonna say, um, is it true? Is it true that aside from from your dad, who obviously I'm sure as a as a well you're not a lawyer yet but as a in the future fellow lawyer you look up to is it true that better call Saul is your inspiration Dude, if, if you don't study for the mpre at all right and you just want to know like the baselines of what you can and can't do as a lawyer you should watch better call Saul. that man literally he does nothing right on that show like literally down the down it's great entertainment Trust me, it's great entertainment. But after you study for the Empire, you're like, oof, that's that'll get you in trouble. That'll, that'll get you disbarred. Yeah, you, you won't have a license after that. Um, I love Better Call Saul. It's a great show. But it it, it, it seriously presents like I feel like if you were taking a, a professional responsibility class, like those are some great hypotheticals for the professor to show you and be like, So, what what kind of penalty will you be facing here? You know what I mean? I I, I love that show. Listen, if you want to make sure that you don't get disbarred, for those people out there. Uh, for the Reggie Jacksons, love the Reggie Jacksons out there in uh, Texas. Um, for all the Reggie Jacksons out there that are, are listening and wondering what are they saying about MPRE, um, it's it's easy. One, don't commingle funds. Most attorneys, for some crazy reason, get disbarred because they commingle funds. Reggie Jackson's wondering 
what the hell is commingling funds, right? Well, what happens is lawyers are required to keep a trust account, and whenever that trust account is the client's money. So producer Marco hires me for a case. Producer Marco gives me $7,500, and I put those $7,500 in my trust account. Ladies and gentlemen, that is producer Marco's money. It is not my money until I earn that money. How do I earn that money? Well, what I do is I bill per hour. Bill per hour on the work that I do. At the end of the month, I send producer Marco a bill. And from those $7,500, I deduct what my billable expenses. But for some reason, lawyers believe that this trust account is funny money. It's monopoly money. It's the kind of money you want to go out with, like, with Sean Connery. You want to go out with Sean Connery. You want to go on a date with Sean Connery. And you want to basically go out and you want to have like a good time. And you want to, you want to go to a nudie bar. You want to go to the nudie bar because Trebek, your mother's a whore. But what happens is they take the funny money from the trust account that's not theirs or they just blow it. An attorney, real life story, name will, I would not name the name. But there's an attorney that I know who took a million dollars from his client. I repeat, it is one million dollars. And he left to Panama <laughs> with the million dollars. Now, wait to the end. It's a story, and there's a chapter. And I know it's a podcast, and I know we're time, but I'm going to get there. He left the Panama with a million dollars because he thought it was a good idea to take the million dollars from his client. Now, in the rule, what did you call it? Ethicalness? In the rule of ethicalness, that doesn't play and doesn't play with the Florida Bar because the Florida Bar will disbar you immediately when you're commingling funds. That's the number one reason why lawyers get disbarred in, in, in the state of Florida, commingling of funds. Other stuff is possession of cocaine and all that other stuff, but we're not going to get to that because cocaine is a hell of a drug. Now, what happens is, what happens is he goes to Panama, but his dog gets sick. I repeat, his dog gets sick and he does a dog, perro. How rough, 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 gets sick. So he comes back to the United States of America to get his dog treated. You know this, vet, vet son, same thing. We know. What happens when he comes in? Yeah, he gets pinched. You know why, right? Because not only is it an ethical violation, but it's called grand theft. Grand theft, first degree, because it's $1 million. So... Yeah, if I was to teach my son any lesson during the course of his life in this podcast is, please don't commingle funds. Or, and actually mean this, but or let your dog die and stay in Panama. I always say, if my dog dies, I won't buy another one. That's what so I, I say. And I, you know what? I mean it. He really does mean that, by the way. It's tremendously fucked up, but he, he truly, he means it. He will not buy us another dog. Ray, I have, a, I have a question for Little Ray. Big Ray. Little Ray. Are you taller than your dad? <laughs> Throwing Theo Ray a bone there. Uh, so this is a question for Little Ray. You've had the chance now to not only watch your dad build a business, You've also expressed openly that you want to own your own business down the line. You've seen me start companies and Nick and, and 
you've been almost like an advisor to mm -hmm. at least ours because we ask you and bring up almost everything that goes on in our companies. You've probably heard it, been around it, talked about it. What are, what are maybe things that you've learned or key things that you think have made us successful or helped us succeed that you will then add down the road when you start your company that you think is kind of going to like kind of something that you've kind of picked up that will make you succeed later on. Um, that's a, it's a multi-tier question, but I think, I think that going back to what we spoke to in the beginning, I think having the right people around you is extremely important. You know what I mean? Having, having, your dogs having having your boys around you, I think that's that's something that is is an intangible in, in a business. Um, so that's definitely something that you know you you have to hold near and dear to your heart. You have to keep the right people around you, and those guys that stay with you, those they're gonna be the ones that you know see you flourish and see you succeed. Nope. I agree, but I'm gonna add to that, and I'm gonna add to that because I missed out on a lot. I missed out on my son playing baseball my daughter playing soccer because I was working because I think that the answer to your question has a lot to do with working hard. It has to do with putting in the time to be able to get the work product that you want and to be able to have the success that you want. And that sacrifice, that sacrifice whereby you are foregoing um, events that are, are, are important in your life. Um, the one one example that I remember distinctly was once I had my own firm, and and Bob was born in two thousand and four. After I opened my firm in two thousand and three, I said that I wasn't going to miss anymore because now I own my own business. So I was there a lot for Bob's, you know, grammar school sports and what have you. And Ray started playing football, and I said I'm going to go to every single football game that Ray has. Because I want to be there for him because I, I felt like I hadn't been there for him because I had sacrificed while I was working for someone else, making someone else money. And now I'm making myself money, but I'm going to go to every, every football game he has. And I remember there was one football game that was in the west coast of Florida, somewhere in Naples, Fort Myers, somewhere in that area. And I was supposed to go to that. And a federal judge who shall remain nameless gave us a deadline where our entire firm had to review. I want to say it was about 30,000 documents within a 48 to 72 hour period. So we had five lawyers working round the clock and I was supposed to leave my office to go see Ray's game. And, and, and it broke my heart not being able to do it, but my responsibility was to be present and to be in my firm and to be able to help out and have to do what I needed to do to comply with the court's order. So, I think a lot of it has to do with dedication. And that's one word we haven't used, which Nick had, I have, you had, he has, which is dedication to succeed. And having that dedication requires you to sacrifice things that are important to you, but sacrifice things because you want to succeed. And that dedication has to do with work. It has to do with putting in the time and it has to do with being able to produce a product that number one, you're proud of. And number two, you know, you did right because 
couldn't resolve anything if I just sat there and I reviewed the 30,000 documents with my other five lawyer friends in the office that I paid money to because they're not really my friends. Um, but it doesn't resolve anything if I didn't do a good enough job to know whether or not this was or was not responsive to the request. So, yes, we've talked about ingenuity. We talked about sacrifice. We talked about uh, now we're talking about hard work. We've talked about risk. We've talked about reward to be able to be a successful entrepreneur. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to add on to what Nick had said was sticking to your guns. In other words, you had a time frame whereby you were analyzing the market and you were making the moves, but you weren't making money. I'm sure the same thing happened to Nick. I was fortunate. I made money month one. But I'm, I'm the exception to the rule because I'm not supposed to make money month one. I didn't expect to make money month one. But in the grand scheme of things, that sticking to it aspect is also extremely important in being successful as an entrepreneur based on the fact that you have to not give up. Now, you, you can't be slow. You can't be slow in that aspect, right? You can't sit there and go, oh, I'm going I'm I'm to stick this out. I'm going to stick it out because, you know, it's going to get better. The market will get better. It's a market correction. John Logman, you son of a bitch. But you have to stick it out. In other words, you have to have sufficient belief that whatever it is that you're investing your time in, you're going to be able to be successful in. So that is also, I think, another point that makes it very important. Yeah, I I think sticking with it is definitely is definitely you know a huge part of it. Um, wanting the success, wanting to be successful. I mean, you need to have drive. If people don't have drive, you're not going to get anything done. I've been fortunate enough to have fear drive me throughout law school. Um, fear has been my <laughs> fear has been my my main motivator. I'm I'm tremendously afraid to fail. So I think that my fe- my fear of failing will will drive me to where I want to be. I think also an important I said, as we mentioned earlier, an important aspect of, of any business is uh, networking. So I've right now what I've been doing to get to that end is, you know, just making my name known, you know, getting to the big players to know my name, being familiar with who I am, what I've done. Um, and I think also making smart investments in yourself is extremely important. You know, you're not going to go and, and put your life savings into something that you that you that you don't fully believe in. Uh, you're not going to go and, and give all your all your money to Reggie Jackson and and just believe that it's going to work. You know what I mean? Did, did, you, did you say, say Reggie, Reggie Jackson? Jackson? You're not going to give your money to Reggie Jackson. He's just going to run away with it. You have to you have to believe in what you're doing. You got to make smart investments. You got, you got to pick the right Reggie Jackson. You know what I'm saying? Love that Reggie Jackson. Dude, but to, to, add, to add to your point, I feel like I feel like business is so psychological to where for someone to say, okay, I'm making fifty thousand a year. To completely stop that and spend fifty thousand to start a business that could blow up in your face, I think most people won't do that. And so that's why in a capitalistic country like America, um, a lot of people who are committed to to, to what they're doing um, can be rewarded. And you know, there's more than just that. I see your face. I see what you're saying. There's more than just that. But that's the to me that's the start and most people, um, maybe maybe they don't need to or they don't want to, but most people won't take that first step. And kind of jumping into it in a way, which you kind of did. 
right? You, you said your deadline was December and then it kept, it kept moving forward, forward, forward. You kind of just went into it and it worked out. And obviously that's not always the case, but that's what it takes. But I, I think one of the main things that I want anyone listening to the podcast and you fellows to take away is the fact that all the plans that you made, all the expenses you thought you were going to have. I mean, in real life, when we think about what we invested in the firm, when we started the firm, it was rent for one month. It was a security deposit. It was desk. It was chairs. It was 400 square feet. So when Nick Fusco turns around and says, $50,000, people out there are going to sit there and say, well, I need $50,000 to start my business, man. I'm just like, like the ball guy said in the beginning. He needed a year's salary to be able to start his business. Gentlemen, I did not need a year's salary. I did not need six months' salary. I needed at most one month of a salary at best to be able to do it. I think I think that has a lot to do with your profession, though, because you bill hourly. You can get a contingency fee basis on a, on a on a on a jury verdict. Like, like that's not something that many other professions can 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 get, though. Like that's that's that has a lot to do with the profession that you are that you that you hold and, and the degree that you have. It's, it's it's a lucrative profession, but when you have an office, yes, it's in Coral Gables, but you have an office that's four hundred or five hundred square feet. I, I couldn't charge in 2003 the hourly rate that I charge now because, one, I wasn't a 26-year lawyer. Yes, I had a lot of trial experience, but I think, if my memory serves me correct, my billable rate back then was $250, $300 an hour. My billable rate today is $650 an hour. And yes, God is great. I have a profession that I'm able to make money without a glass ceiling, which is great. but. I don't want people to sit there and be disillusioned and basically say, wait a minute, I need large capital. I need to have a degree. I need to have the ability to take risk. I need to have ingenuity and all the things these guys are talking about, because in the grand scheme of things, you need a combination of all those things. But it isn't something that's impossible. In other words, you're taking a risk, but you don't need the 50 Gs to start the money. To start the train rolling, you you need to take a risk. You need to have an investment. But I recall correctly, my investment definitely wasn't fifty Gs. It wasn't twenty five years. It wasn't fifteen Gs. I don't even think it was ten Gs. And and that had to do with with the associations that I had and the generosity that I had of those around me, and the fact that I was able to bring computers from the house and printers from the house and fax machines from the house, and I was able to get a desk from here, and I was able to get my business partner's country furniture. Yes, country furniture, folks. You don't know what that means, but it's country look, and they wanted to get rid of it, so they were going to throw it out. So we put it as our reception, and my business partner's mom got us a little she, – she had it at the house, see, in the garage. British say garage. So she had it at the garage, and it was a little bear with this little paws up, a little table. That was baby bear. Baby Bear still sits in my office today because I won't get rid of him. And you know what else she had? She had a big dog, a big bronze dog. And you know what that dog was? Buster. We call him Buster. And Buster still sits in my business partner's office today. And you know what I do when we have business meetings inside my business partner's office? I sit on Buster 
And you know what? Looking at you, Olga Ortega. I asked you for Baby Buster. I asked you, I said, give me a little Baby Buster for my office. You know what she did? She said, no. She never gave it to me. So I never got Baby Buster. But you know what? I'll buy a Baby Buster now. But it isn't the same because it isn't given to me by Olga Ortega. So in the grand scheme of things, folks, I'm being facetious, but it was the generosity of those around us. It was the fact that we had Omar, my business partner, bringing in his country furniture as our reception. We had my desk coming from the house as my desk in my office. We bought a circular conference room table sitting four people, thank you, at Aaron Rents Used Furniture. Cost us a whopping $350 with the chairs. Thank you very much. So in the grand scheme of things, we took a chance. We made the investment. But it isn't impossible for people out there to go out and, and start their business and start their dream and start doing something they're passionate about. And, and I told my kids, two of my, two of my, of my three kids are, are, are wannabe lawyers. One of them is a lawyer already, my daughter, Christina. Shout out to Christina. Whoop, whoop. And the other one, as the one sitting next to me, the mammoth man sitting next to me, uh, has one semester left before graduating law school. And my, my, my youngest, the one that was born right 2004, um, the youngest says he wants to be a lawyer as well. And, and I never told him to be a lawyer. I never told him to go out and make a career that made money. I never told him to do something that, that, that was going to be successful or give, give him fame. I told him, do something you are passionate about. And I think then, then that's the last topic on the entre entrepreneurship aspect of it, which is passion. Because with passion, everything else falls into play. Hard work, dedication, investment, risk, reward. If you have the passion for what you are doing, it's going to be worth your while and you're going to do it. I also think that something kind of important that you touched on when we wanted to make sure that we weren't highlighting that you needed 50000 or you needed 10000 or you needed all these things. If you make an educated decision and, and assess a market or something that you are, like you're saying, passionate about, having that long-term view on it, not being so caught up in, oh my God, look how much this is going to cost me this year. It makes things a lot easier. And like you just said, 20 years now, you're looking back and your initial investment was your rent now, 20 years later. But at that moment, it's like, oh my God, it's all of this money or I need all this money. But if you have that long-term mindset when you look at something and you, like Ray said, are investing in yourself, you're putting the trust in yourself that you're going to get it done no matter what. I'm going to put this money on my name and I'm going to get it done no matter what. And I'll be successful 20 years from now. You will be able to see the picture that you're trying to paint where a lot of people do something for three months and they're like, oh my God, I lost 10,000 in three months. This is stupid. And like you said, it's important to, to be educated. And if something is not working and if something is pointless, you need to realize that, but you need to have that long-term point of view and believe in yourself and not give up three, four months down the line and be like, oh, this didn't work when you didn't even give it a chance to unfold. And it could have been a gold mine for you. But as I said before, and I'll say again, you don't want to be slow. You don't want to be the slow antelope. In other words, one thing is 
being realistic. And another thing is just being not so intelligent and ignorant and, and allowing, you know, you could get deeper, deeper into the hole. So that's also that balancing test that I think is very important. And that balancing test, I tell the clients all the time. I always tell the clients, look, you know what you have? You have a balancing test. Your balancing test is, this is your pride. You're being sued. This is your potential exposure. This is how much you're going to spend on fees to defend the potential exposure and still have it. So you need to balance and make a business decision. And one of the things that entrepreneurs need to do when they're making the determination as to whether or not they're going to stick to it is make that business decision and make it an informed business decision. And I think that's important because you don't want to be that slow antelope because you all know what happens to the slow antelope, right? Slow antelope gets eaten, gets eaten by the lion. And you don't want to have the lion eat the slow antelope. I, I think I think that you know, a main part of, of everything I was just said is, is passion. You, know, you can't go into something that you're not passionate about. I want to hear you guys' take on, on what your passion was and how that helped fuel your drive and, and fuel your business. You guys can go around and pick whichever one. Well, I was, I was actually about to comment on uh, Big Ray's point about passion. And um, I think with, with passion uh, comes determination as well. And I know, like you said, your business was – um, I don't, I don't want to say successful from day one, but you were, you were in the green from day one. So it was, you didn't have a period of, oh shit, you know, not like that. And, 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 and look for the people who are listening, you, maybe you take that risk and maybe you get the same reward as you got. Right? That's the beautiful thing about taking the risk. If you never took it, you would have never found out. But for some businesses where, um, maybe there's a little, uh, a recuperation period or a period of, of a little bit of down, uh, you know, downward angle for you to go up after, you know, you got to endure that and you have to be determined enough that when three doors slam on your face, you'll go to the fourth door and you'll still knock. And that's where passion comes in. And that's where you have to, because when it comes to small businesses, you, you, whoever's starting the business, you are the business. If you fail, the business fails. If you quit, the business dies. So you have to be the lifeline of the business and you have to keep it going and you have to be d determined and passionate enough to um, not give up no matter what the circumstances are. And, um, you know, also do not be the antelope. If, if you slow. have, you don't want to be slow. You don't want to be slow. Tell, tell us about your passion. With, with <clears throat> well, the, I think, I think that my, my background story um, with the business is, is, is unique. Um, and, um, you know, I won't go all the way into it because I mentioned in a previous podcast, but um, yeah, yeah, number three. Um, I made this, I created this business in honor of my grandparents. And so it's, it's, um, it's a very deep passion for me because it's, it's, it's highly emotional and it has to do with my family's legacy. So, you know, my inspiration and everything is, is, I mean, the fire is burning red hot every every second of the day. So, um, I have there's no slowing down in me in this, and and you know it's 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 easy to push onward, even when doors get slammed in the face. Like, quick example, I won't go into too much detail. I've had um, I had a a grown man tell me to go fuck myself, and um, you know, it won't be the first or the last time, Nick Fusco. Just so you know. 
people will tell you to fuck yourself all the time. And 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 to your point, passion is what keeps you going, and where where you can, if you are focused enough on the business, and you you care about what you have to offer, and you care about the uh, really the end consumer because they're they're going to be the people who appreciate it the most. Um, then things like that, you'll be able to just brush it off your shoulder because it's irrelevant. It's 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 maybe it's a learning experience. Maybe you learn from it, right? But it's really it's irrelevant. It's a little it's a minor little bump in the in in the road, and you and you push onward. So, to anyone who has an idea of starting a business or maybe is on the fence of oh should I go for it? Should I should I not go for it? You have to think within yourself. If you have the willpower, the determination, the passion, you know that what you're going to do is something that you uh, highly care about. Well, the odds are in your favor already. And if you have um, if you have a business plan, you know, like you said, planning is very important. If you have something put together, a little bit of organization skills, um, your chances are at least decent and and you'll learn more than you ever learned in college maybe even ever in your life starting your own business and kind of fending for yourself. So uh, I would highly encourage it. I'm sure Big Ray would highly encourage it. Little Ray, I'm sure you'd highly encourage it. I know Andres would highly encourage it as well. So that's my take on passion. Yeah, and just to kind of piggyback off that, best the best businesses typically come from something you're passionate about whether it's a problem that you really wanted to fix and you created that product, whether it's a business that you really enjoy and you wanted to excel at it and you believed you yourself could do that. Um, so passion is huge and, and it's extremely important. And, and that's like what Nick said is going to get you through the rough times, which are the hardest part of a business because every business owner has had multiple times where they sit there and like, should I quit? Should I give up? And if you don't have, like he said, that fire in you, that reason behind it, it's so easy to just say, you know what? Yeah. And then just move on. And that's typically what happens and businesses fail because people can't deal with that adversity. So it's very important for you not to just say, you know what? I'm an entrepreneur. Like I got my degree in entrepreneurship and I'm going to start my own business. And, and you know what? I see a ton of people making money renting trucks. That's hot right now. I'm, I'm going to go buy five trucks you know, that's not really a business in my opinion. You didn't put that much effort. You didn't put that much time. You just went out on a whim and said, you know, other people are making money. I'm going to make money too. And you should never really follow the crowd. Three is a crowd. It's our podcast. Listen to it. So you should never really follow the crowd. Follow. Follow. Subscribe, follow. Subscribe, follow, like. Three is a crowd, crowd. So you should never really follow that crowd because if you see tons of people jumping into something, it's because people already paved the path and everybody's following behind them. You need to find something unique that you really like. My best business out of the ones that I started came from just the fact that I love sneakers enough to get into the first business, which created that passion, which showed me discord. Being in that community and enjoying the shoes and that culture led me to start that other company. And that company led me to start on my most profitable company, which was that mentorship program. And then that led us to start another company together. And it all came from me just being passionate about shoes and being very open to other opportunities. And I think in business, 
sometimes where the money's at isn't always the sexiest option or isn't always the most fun area. And you have to sometimes go back and realize it's a business. It's not like a playground. So I love the sneakers. I love holding the product. I love getting them. But I was making less money going out to the stores and buying the product than sitting on my computer and just sitting there and billing people, mentoring people, facilitating good customer service in my online product. And yeah, it wasn't the best part about it, but I realized I make more money sitting here. So I had to make a business decision. Like we said, be sharp, be intelligent, weigh your options. And I had to make a business decision and it was amazing. That company scaled up way more than the other opportunities would have. And it all stemmed from like what we talked about is having that passion, having something I was really excited about. I always loved shoes from when we were little. Ray and I would collect shoes at a young age. We, we were too little to sell them and, and do certain things and we played sports, but that passion never went away. And the second I stopped playing sports and had the opportunity to jump back in, I did and look at what it led to. So that is extremely important. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to poke you guys up. We're going to drop some links in the description for, for the bot spot and for my streetwear, for Michael Cigars, maybe for DNO, um, maybe, maybe. Um, Dad, give us a quick little, a quick little run through on, on your passion as, as an attorney and then and what that looks like. You know, passion as an attorney is, 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 is something that um, I think it's inborn. <clears throat> when I was a young man, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be like Sean Connery. I, I, I wanted to go out and I wanted to, to act. I wanted to get an Oscar. But you see, what happened was that my, my, my dad God bless him. He he placated me. He said to me, you know, young man, you want to be an actor. That's fine. But you got to go out and get a degree. And I said, yeah, dad, but I really want to be an actor. I want to be like, like Tom Cruise. So I got a job as an extra in a movie produced by Sean Cunningham. No one knows who that is, but that is the producer of the Friday the 13th series. And it was a, a, a uh, movie called The New Kids. And the new kids stars Lori Lawlin, the lady that went to jail for the, uh, the you know the the college scandal issue, whatever you say, tomato. I say Lawlin, um, Laughlin. Sorry, Laughlin. And um, it was James Spader from Blacklist, and it was Eric Stoltz from Mask, and they were all there. And I was hanging out with these actors, and I wanted to be an actor. And I was an extra and I was dancing. And one of the things that I couldn't do, I still can't do very well, is dance. But I was dancing. So my dad took the day off of work to take me to the Homestead High School for me to be an extra. And you know how much I got paid, folks? $42. I repeat one more time, $42. So I said to myself, self, how can I be an actor and make money? So my passion came from there. I decided I wanted to be a trial attorney. I decided I wanted to be a litigator. And you know what I was going to act like when I went in front of a jury? I was going to act like a lawyer. I was going to go and present a case. And, and then I thought to myself, self, do I want to represent the person accused of the crime or do I want to put the person that was accused of the crime in jail? And I said, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. That's easy. I want to put the person accused of the crime in jail. So I became a prosecutor and I took the role of a lawyer and I took different personas up. And I, 
I went and I performed in front of a jury and I still perform in front of a jury, in front of a judge. So my passion comes from wanting to be an actor. My passion comes from basically ridiculing the other side and their case. How do I do that? Well, if someone takes a stand and they have potentially a speech impediment or an accent. During the course of my closing argument, I would take that person's persona. I would impersonate them. And I would say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, because, you know, Omar says, this is my courtroom voice. This is the voice I use when I'm in court. And your honor, this is ludicrous. You heard the witness take the stand. And when the witness took the stand, the witness said, oh, I didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> I think we should cut this part out. No, no, no. I, 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 I think we should talk, talk more about like the Constitution, upholding the Constitution, stuff like that. I think that's much more relevant than making fun of a speech impediment. So Dude, the, witness, I, the witness takes a stand. I love that part. I love that part. The witness Come on. takes a stand. Come on the witness says, "I don't understand why the the, the witness was doing whatever, right? Because he has an accent. This is the accent he has." So I would go and I would say, you heard him, ladies and gentlemen. He sat there and he said, oh, I don't understand. And I would do an impersonation of the person on the stand. You know, at first I didn't think it was going to work. <laughs> I said to myself, you know, this may not work because you're just having shits and giggles for yourself and for your purposes. But it worked because I got convictions. I put people away and then I went on the other side and I got people off. And then I went on the other side and I got a $58 million verdict, a $300 million verdict. And I was able to be successful based on my passion, based on my craft. But it all started because I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to do Shakespeare. And then I realized when I read Shakespeare, didn't really understand it very well. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I that. Oh, get yourself. That that that's a great answer and all, but I kind of wanted more of like, you know, vindicating people's rights, upholding the Constitution. No, no, fuck that. No, no, but I no. wanted, I wanna I wanna say that he didn't maybe give you the law answer you were looking for, but he identified a passion of his. Realized, made an educated decision that it probably wasn't the best financial route and turned something that he really liked into a very, very successful, large business. And he's still getting to fulfill a lot of the passions that he has just in a different way. He put a unique spin on what he wanted to do and look at how it worked out. Guys, I've been in front of judges that are friends of mine that were friends of mine as attorneys and become judges. And I go before the judge and I make an, a really passionate argument. Your Honor, this is despicable. This is a violation of my client's constitutional rights. I don't understand how this court can allow this to occur. I asked this court to allow my client out on bond. It's a bondable offense. And I don't understand, the, the state's position is ludicrous. But you know, what I just did there, guys, is called being fake angry. 
I wasn't really angry. And I literally had the judge on a separate case off the bench say to me, Hey, Ray, you were really upset that day, were you? And I said to her, No, man, I was fake angry. Unlike my business partner who sometimes gets real angry, I don't, I don't get real angry. I get fake angry. Because why, guys? Because I am an actor. An actor. Thank you. I think that's a that's a fantastic answer. That's a much more interesting answer than a boring law answer. And the fact that your passion stemmed from acting, man, I didn't even I didn't know that shit. That's awesome. That's 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 great because if you think about it, you know, when you're litigating, when you're a litigator, in a sense, you know, it, you have to have some some level of of acting to be good at your craft because um, there's convincing involved and there's a lot of emotion involved and the stakes are high for whoever you're representing. And so I understand where you're coming from and, and that's pretty cool. Well, well, one of the cool. things that you need to have is that you need to be liked. And I always had a hard time knowing whether or not I was being liked. The second of all, you need to have some kind of material, folks. You know, you got to constantly work on the material. And the material could be comical. The material could be topical. The material could be whatever it is that it needs to do for you to get your point across and get the results that you want for your client. So you, you have a material. And I always have a thing with the jury because for some odd reason, I always have to pick up the jury because my business partner says, hey, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do the jury selection, the opening statements, and the experts. And I go, that's awesome. Who gets to do the closing argument? He goes, oh, that's me. And I'm like, okay, honey, whatever you want, Lucy, you are so splendid to do. Uh, but you know what? Um, it's successful from our standpoint, and it works. And I am the first person that speaks to the jury. He's the last person that speaks to the jury normally. Um, and, and I think that having the material and having the ability to have the rapport with the jury goes a long way. And I think it gives us the ability to have the success that we've had in the trials that we've we've gone through um, based on the fact that, you know, that passion comes into play. And And you know what? Between us, I'm, I'm not giving anything away. I'm just playing the role of a lawyer. I'm just saying the things that they say on the TV. You know, I, I, I just sit there and I, I'm Jack McCoy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Tom Cruise and, and a few good men. You know, all, all I want is the truth. I think I'm entitled to the truth. You can't handle the truth. So that's the lines that I basically throw out. And, and I try associating myself with the jury and putting myself um, as 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 humanly as possible with them, I never want them to think that I'm above them. I never want them to think that I I'm smarter than them because I'm not. In, in the grand scheme of things, all I want to do is I want to establish that rapport. And the only time you can establish that rapport with the jury is when you're picking them, because it's the only time they can ask you a question and you can answer. Um, so, I think that passion goes a long way, and I think the acting and acting as a lawyer is important. But I can act as other things as well, by the way. So is anybody's out there? I think I just want to add one more thing because we probably got to jump into that hot take soon. Um, even producer Marco, we got to give 
credit where it's due. Producer Marco, also an entrepreneur. Um, his passion is photography, even more specific, cars. Um, his stuff will be linked below, Shootmas. And his passions um, have led him to this situation where this is a completely new venture for all of us, especially for him. He's always done photography. Now we're in videography. Um, and and I'm excited for what this journey has for all of us because we're just started episode eight. I mean, who knows? Hopefully we're here at episode 800 and we get to celebrate that. But his passions and ability to fulfill his passions, even with a regular job, not put it to the side shows. And, and he's had these awesome photos and sold these amazing prints and has these awesome artistic um, skateboards and things that he's done, which you'll see. Um, have led him here. And it's about being open to things that, like I said, might not be the most attractive. But if you have that drive and that determination and that entrepreneurial spirit, it's very rare that you'll say no to an opportunity to not only further your knowledge, but your skills. We really enjoyed this and wanted to take it serious and, and realize a producer was 100% necessary. We didn't pick him because he was the best producer in, in town. He had never produced a, a video um, podcast. But oh, wait, 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 Andreas, okay. I'm sorry. Are you saying that Marco is not the best producer in, in, in the state of Florida? Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. Is he the best producer in Miami-Dade County? Wait, before you answer that. Is he the best producer in the city of North Miami Beach? Wait. North Miami. Yeah, no. Come on. He, he, yeah, I know he is. Yeah. So beforehand, with no production skills at the beginning, from a video standpoint, he wasn't. Now that he's producer Marco and part of the team, of course he's the best producer in South Florida and North Miami and North Miami Beach in Miami-Dade. Um, so I think that's another perfect example. Again, if you surround yourself with these certain types of people, opportunities seem to pop up and present themselves. And it's important to always be open. Maybe it doesn't work out in the long run, but you gain things, you learn knowledge, you find out things that you don't like, do like. Um, so wanted to make sure we gave him his shout out as well, just because he fits perfectly into this entrepreneurial topic. And it's cool that we have all of these different types of businesses and Ray wants to get into the sports down the road. So hopefully this continues on and, and, and you guys get to kind of experience our journey. I mean, I just turned 24. Nick's been 24 for two months. Ray's still 23. Dio Ray's 31. Marco's 22. And, you know, just kidding. Um, it's going to be cool. I'm really excited that hopefully this podcast will not only be educational, but a way for you guys to kind of follow our journeys is we try and take stabs at different things and, and see where our journey as businessmen, entrepreneurs, employees, wherever routes we take, what it, what it kind of takes to us, but that we still have the ability to sit back, take off the suit and everything and, 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 and still hang out and, and, and shoot the shit with your best friends and, and really talk about these things that down the road will make us better people. And, and I think we will sit down 20, 30 years down the road and, when we've, we've really made it and be like a lot of the stuff that we did at a young age and a lot of those late nights where we sat here and shot the shit, bounced ideas off, will come into play and will be a big reason why we all succeed. And for the record, in 30 years, I'll be dead. But uh, hopefully the rest of you could 
really enjoy um, your success, and I'm sure that you will be successful. Thank you. Come on, come on, man. Give it. Give me thirty more years. Give, give me. Give me thirty more years. Hey. Hey, I want to add. I want to add. Producer Marco's been killing it. And guys, if you're still watching up to this point, let us know in the comments. Should we refer to Producer Marco, which Producer Marco is a great name, but should we refer to him nickname as the Technological Terminator? What? Producer Marco, baby. Okay. All right. Well, Big Ray says Producer Marco. All right. Um, great discussion. That's why I think this has been one of our better episodes for sure. I think that we really got got into into the into the weeds here. Um, but I. I'm dropping the knowledge, dropping, dropping some some comedy. I want to bring us into our hot take. Wait, 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 wait. We're not talking about sports? We're not going to say anything about the Dolphins losing to the Bills? No, we're not doing it? Well, I'm very disappointed for the record. I thought that they they, they bit very well and they played well. Um, but they lost. So, fins down. Uh, I'm, I, am, I am a fan of this pack, podcast. I've listened since episode one. So I always listen to the sports section because it's my favorite because it's when Little Ray shows his knowledge. Um, but if we're not going to do it, then we're not going to do it. That's okay. Maybe it's because you have a, a, a fourth wheel, two threes a crowd. Thank you. Hot take. Um, the hot take has to do with an article that came out in the paper this morning. And the article that came out in the paper this morning had to do with Rudy Giuliani and the D.C. bar wanting to disbar him. They wanted to disbar him because apparently uh, Rudy Giuliani filed multiple lawsuits in the District of Columbia after the 2020 election based on his client's representation that the election was fraudulent and that it was stolen from his client. So the D.C. bar is recommending disbarment for Rudy Giuliani. So the hot take would have to do with what do you all think? Do you think that Rudy Giuliani or any lawyer has or should be disbarred for coming forward and filing lawsuits that are frivolous in nature and just, you know, for, for, the, for the Reggie Jacksons out there um, in Texas? The frivolous lawsuit basically means it's, it's a lawsuit that has absolutely no legal validity whatsoever. There's no evidence with regards to it. Um, and it's being brought forth with the court, and the court can have an exchange with the lawyer. And if the lawyer presents information to the court, as Ray knows, after taking the MPRA, this could very well lead to lack of candor to the court, which is also a disbarrable offense where you are being untruthful to the judge. So <clears throat> the hot take today um, has to do with whether or not you believe that Rudy Giuliani should be disbarred based on what the DC bar has come up. Let me, let me preface what my dad just, let me preface what my dad just said with staying an overall, you know, rule of, of professional responsibility is you have a duty of candor to the tribunal, which means you can't fucking lie to the court. Right. I mean, there are some gray areas, but you generally, you can't just have a blatant lie. You can't blatantly lie to the court. And you can't file frivolous lawsuits, which my dad just explained has no legal validity, no 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 legal baseline behind what you, the basis behind what you're doing. Um, Producer Marco actually just sent in some information that his law license has already been suspended but not revoked in New York, where the court last year found that he made 
demonstrably false and misleading statements about his attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Uh, and he appealed that decision. Um, to me, I think that as an attorney, your ethical obligations are paramount, right? You, I think it's important that attorneys... So I think it's also important to realize that the ABA model rules were written by attorneys, right? These are rules that attorneys believe have to be followed in order to have a successful legal system, a successful representation, um, ethical representation. So I don't know if disbarment immediately is the right call. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. I don't know if disbarment immediately is the right call, right? Because usually it's not one and done, right? Like usually it's not filing a filing a frivolous lawsuit and then getting disbarred, right? It's usually a series of events that leads up to it, which seems like New York has already taken a route where they've suspended his license. He can't practice law in New York anymore. Rudy Giuliani actually wrote the RICO statutes in New York. So he is very prevalent in how racketeering is, is dealt with in the, in the, in nationwide. He wrote the first racketeering statute. Um, so I think that, I don't know. I don't know if disbarment immediately is, is the way to go. I think that he definitely needs to be disciplined by a bar. I think he definitely needs to be dissuaded and stopped from filing for further frivolous lawsuits. I'll go ahead and I'll say something about it. Um, I know that this whole situation is probably, I don't know, there's probably not much that's more controversial than than this um, from a political standpoint. And I think it's hard to say one way or another without knowing exactly what um, he submitted to the court. Because I have no idea what he actually submitted to the court, what he presented to them um, in his defense. Um, but in the case that there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever, and he's he pretty much presented them a empty bag of tricks. Um, you know, I think that shouldn't fly because. You are wasting the court's time if that's the case. Um, I, I honestly, I just, I just don't know. I just don't know enough about what evidence, what he had to submit um, for me to say one way or another. But um, you know, I definitely think that it's very important to um, uphold the law on the highest standard and um, you know be accurate and factual when when. Um, presenting evidence so you know that should be taken lightly uh but just i really would i just would need to know a little more details before i could tell you one way or another i'm going to hold my comments to the end till i hear from everybody including andres i just want to make one correction rudy giuliani did not write the rico statute william blakely wrote the uh rico statute and and i'm just letting you know because sometimes i'm here to drop knowledge and I'm dropping a little knowledge for you. So why does he get credited for it? Uh, he's not accredited for it. He basically was the prosecutor, prosecutor that, that uh, used the RICO statute to basically break up the mob. I bet. Yeah. Um, but I, I just wanted to make that little correction. Um, but I'm going to hold off because I'm going to address Fusco's point, And then I'm going to figure out what Andres is going to say and, and address that as well. Yeah. 
So I 100% agree with Nick and you as well. If there's no concrete evidence and you're not able to provide what the court would deem is, is accurate information, I, I, I don't think that you should be filing these lawsuits. And like you said, wasting people's time, wasting the court's time, backing up the legal system. Um, I think I'm curious to see um, from the standpoint of these Twitter files, all of this information that's all been uncovered now, if that has any um, effect on what goes down and, and, and if that will be used in court, um, because that seems to be the only evidence that's came up that even has an inkling of at least evidence that we know that has an inkling of ability to be used or even spoken of, because whether there's a case or not, there is information that can be provided where there was this suppression and, and there was this favoritism being played on a platform that a lot of people were using to get their opinions, whether that was right or wrong. And I think that all of this uncovering that still has been happening and I haven't had the chance to read through it all um, when it has to do with the FBI's involvement and all of these little areas, like we said, of suppression. So I'm, I'm curious to see if that does come into play as something, but at the basis of it all, if, if you're just straight up making stuff up and wasting people's time, I think that's, that's completely wrong. And like now I'm more interested and I, I'm going to read into it as well, just to educate myself because like Nick said, I don't know exactly what he presented and clearly um, it wasn't enough or there wasn't anything. If not, we wouldn't be in this position now. So I think it'll be interesting to see if he tries to use some of this ammo that was just put out there, which hadn't been public knowledge until two weeks ago. Um, but again, I, I agree that if, if you are wasting people's time, if you are making these big public accusations and you can't back it up, that's a problem because you, like at the at the core, you're wasting people's time. You're backing up the judicial system. You're causing all of this media hype and media attention around things that, if there's no evidence, mean absolutely nothing. And it's just wasted resources at the end of the day, which is a problem. So, for me, I'm I'm just interested to see if all of this stuff that's come out recently will make its way to court. Whether it has any implications or whether it's people are able to use it in any way, shape or form, or if it means anything, I don't know. And, and I'm interested to see kind of how it unfolds. But personally, for me, it's just if you're if you're just straight up bringing a bunch of crap, then there's nothing you can do about it. I'd like, I'd like to quickly add um, to Andres's point, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a skepticist. And, um, you know, I want to I want to know, um, I'd like to know all the facts before I make an opinion. And I know that there, there are some, um, there's some funny business going on, at least in some aspect, um, with the past election and regarding the, the, the Twitter files that Andres is mentioning. And, um, I generally, not just from the 2020 election, but and not even on a presidential um, level, on state and local levels as well, I don't personally have a ton of faith in uh, the way the voting system works. And I know it's clear you vote for 
X, Y, or Z or whatever, and, and the votes are telling everything. I'm not that straightforward. I'm not talking about that, but I just, I don't know if everything is, um, is on par with, uh, with being perfectly, um, in line and not tiki-taki is what I'm saying. And so I know that as well. If there is anything funny going on with the 2020 election, Washington, D.C. has every single incentive to cover it up. That might not be the case, but they do, because if American citizens find out that the voting system is, in fact, not um, as black and white as they make it seem, well, then I think chaos ensues. And so I think there's I don't know. I think there's a lot. There's a lot to it. And uh, it would be good to uncover some more information. And with that, the Rays can speak. Uh, so a lot of what I'm going to say is going to circle back to what I said in the first episode. But first, I want to point out that every court in which Giuliani has filed suit for this overturning of the election has dismissed it, has dismissed the case in full because there's absolutely no evidence to back it. Giuliani is literally walking in there with his cock out and there's nothing to hold it. Like, it's literally, like, they, he has absolutely nothing on it. That's number one. Number two, as I said in the first episode, foundation of this country, the foundation of this democracy holds in the ability to vote and the security of our vote. If we start questioning that now, if people don't believe in it, our democracy will crumble. Like, the fair elections, the free elections, it needs to be upheld. It needs to be believed in. The second people stop believing in it, the second our democracy stops working. So the fact that Giuliani goes and files this suit because of a fraudulent election that he has nothing to back it up with is not only an, a violation of his obligation under the bar of whatever, it's a violation of our ability to believe in the constitution and the, the protection it, it affords us and our ability to vote. So I think it's extremely harmful to our democracy that Giuliani went into this lawsuit frivolously. He has nothing to back it. Um, that I don't know. I'm getting tired. All right. So I waited for all you all to say your points so that I can give you my points. And my point of view has to do from a lawyer's perspective. From a lawyer's perspective, there's two sides to every story. Nick Fusco basically indicated that was the case, and that's true. A lawyer, from Giuliani's standpoint, has to rely on what his client is telling him. His client is telling him that there's a fraudulent election and there's evidence with regards to that. That lawyer has a responsibility to review the evidence and make sure that his client and what his client is telling him has veracity behind it and has truth behind it. And if that's the case, then that lawyer can file a lawsuit. But as little Ray stole my thunder, which I knew he would, cause I heard episode one and I wanted to be a special guest on the podcast to address episode one. Our system of laws have been in place for 200 years. And I, and my criminal trials by saying for 200 years we have followed a constitution and none of you ladies and gentlemen of the jury are to go against what this constitution says. It's not for you to change it. It's not for Rudy Giuliani's client to change it or suspend it. You bring up a point and the point you bring up are the Twitter files. But young man, you guys have a Twitter hard on on this podcast because you're constantly talking about Twitter. Twitter came out two weeks ago. The lawsuits were filed in 2020. The evidence wasn't there. And if the 
it, and, and being a believer in the Constitution and being a believer in the justice system and being a lawyer that works in federal courthouses and state courthouses or what have you, I'm a firm believer that if the evidence is going to be present, then the case is going to go forward. But if the case doesn't go forward, then we go into the wiki-wachi. Did you say wiki-wachi? Is that what you said? Wiki-wachi or... Tukitiki. That's uh, iffy, iffy. Then you go into the tukitiki situation, and the tukitiki situation isn't there because there's no evidence. So as a lawyer, you have a responsibility to your client, but to the court, to present cases that have merit. Now, as a lawyer, Producer Mark will come to me and say, I have a case against Andres Sanchez for defamation. He called me X, and that's not true. I'm relying on what producer Marco told me. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I'm relying on what he told me. Well, Marco, how did he say this to you? Well, he, he yelled it at me across the park. Were there any witnesses, Marco? Yes, Christina was there. May I speak to Christina? Sure. Christina, what did you hear? I heard Andres call him X. Now, it's a little different from me relying on Marco's word because now I have, I have evidence to basically corroborate what his claims are. Rudy Giuliani relied on his client, relied on the pillow guy, relied on everyone that basically said this election is fraudulent and decided he was going to file not one, but multiple lawsuits across the United States in an effort to overturn the election. <clears throat> if he didn't check his evidence and check his sources, I believe he should be disbarred. I don't think a suspension is enough. I, th I think that at that point, it's, it's just reckless. And it's, it's, it's reckless because you're calling our constitution in question. You're calling our democracy in question. It isn't a defamation case where producer Marco called you X, it is someone saying, hey, they stole this election. That man should not be president. I should be president. And he's relying on what his client says to file those lawsuits. So if I wasn't a believer in the justice system, I wouldn't believe that these cases would be weeded out 